Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about new research into how social anxiety works in the brain, how scientists developed the first synthetic self-replicating genome, and the adorable sounds penguins make underwater. They're super cute. Let's satisfy some curiosity. According to a new study, people with social anxiety have a harder time remembering social interactions that ended well. And that tells us more about how social anxiety works in the brain. And that could help us come up with better ways to deal with it. When someone with social anxiety is about to enter a high-stakes social situation, like meeting the in-laws or doing a big work presentation, they're often flooded with memories of situations that ended badly in the past. This can feel pretty discouraging and a little like self-sabotage. But new research from the University of Waterloo suggests that people with social anxiety actually have a harder time remembering positive social interactions. It's a memory bias. The good, happy social memories are harder to retrieve. For this study, researchers asked 197 participants to imagine themselves in a few fictional social scenarios— like going on a blind date or attending a house party, and some fictional non-social scenarios, like making dinner alone or getting a bill in the mail. The scenarios either ended well or ended badly. So maybe the date was great, or maybe they didn't want to see you again. Maybe you made new friends at the party, or maybe you didn't end up talking to anyone. In the non-social scenarios, maybe dinner tasted good or bad, or maybe that bill was low or high. Later on, the participants were asked to remember the name and details of as many of the scenarios as they could, and note whether the experience was positive or negative. All of the participants, no matter what level of social anxiety they experienced, had similar memories for the non-social scenarios. But the participants with the most social anxiety had worse memory for the social scenarios that had a positive outcome. According to the researchers, socially anxious people might not be able to remember the good because positive memories just don't fit in with how they see themselves. Their anxiety tells them that social events always go badly for them, so the good memories are less memorable. It's like when you have a roommate who thinks you never do the dishes. Even if you do the dishes sometimes, they may not remember because it doesn't fit their picture of you. It's just that in this scenario, the socially anxious person is the judgy roommate And their social interactions are the person who actually really does do dishes sometimes, I swear. The researchers don't offer a fix for the socially anxious, but you might want to spend a little more time thinking about the things that went well in any given interaction. The mood boost it gives you might even make things go better next time. Yeah, so I've definitely dealt with my share of social anxiety. And something I started doing that was really helpful for me is to keep a surprise journal. And that's actually helpful for all parts of life because the times you're surprised are the times when you really learned something. But in this case, if you have social anxiety and you believe that you're just a doofus in all social situations, every time you're surprised by a social situation where, hey, that acquaintance actually does want to hang out with me or, hey, everybody said that they had a really good time with me at that party, write it down so that you can always go back to it when you need a little pick me up. Because you may not remember it otherwise. That is very good advice. Scientists have built the first completely synthetic self-replicating DNA. 
While it's not contained in a cell, this DNA can still do many things you'd expect from the DNA of a living thing. And that may put us one step closer to fully-fledged synthetic organisms. While this is the first time scientists have managed to custom-build a self-replicating functional DNA sequence from the ground up, it's not the first time scientists have made synthetic DNA. Artificial cells have existed for a while now, but their DNA has basically been a computer-made copy of a genome that already existed, just with some tweaks. This DNA is different. The scientists chose a specific set of genes and assembled them in an entirely new way. That set of genes is pretty tiny. The new DNA is just 116,000 bases long, which is smaller than the smallest natural genome that we know of. The DNA is so small because it only has genes that encode for proteins involved in copying DNA. That includes a full set of bacterial DNA copying genes and the genes for ribosomes. Those are the biological machines that make proteins. Why such a focus on replication? Well, life requires reproduction. And that all starts with the ability to copy DNA. Still, this DNA isn't technically alive. It isn't nearly complex enough to earn that title. This was no easy task, of course. Building self-copying DNA is tricky. The information to build the proteins you need to read and copy DNA is encoded in the DNA itself. But if there's nothing to read or copy the DNA with, well, nothing happens. You see my point. That's why the scientists dropped their synthetic DNA into a water bath full of DNA-reading proteins and ribosomes. When that happened, the proteins began copying the DNA into strands of RNA, and those built proteins that copied the DNA, and then made more and more copies. At the moment, this process is purely in vitro, which means it's only happening in test tubes. But it represents a small first step toward building simple organisms from the ground up. Right now, even the simplest organisms have tons of genes, and scientists aren't sure what they all do. So a valuable next step might be to make self-replicating DNA a little bigger and more complex. One day, this technology could help us produce tailor-made synthetic organisms that can metabolize plastics or even treat genetic diseases. The secret is all in the DNA. So is this like what we would do to like grow internal organs and stuff? That's super far off, but... It's more about making little living machines that can process chemicals and make medicines and and help with chemistry. Cool. Mm -hmm. Scientists just learned that penguins make noises underwater. And fair warning, the noises are incredibly cute. Anyone who's been to the penguin exhibit at their local zoo knows that they're noisy birds when standing on top of the ice. Here's what they sound like above the water. We know a lot about the penguin chatter that happens on land. Penguins have unique voices, and that helps them recognize their mates and chicks among a colony of up to 20 million individuals. Some also sound off from the sea surface to form hunting groups. Given that penguins spend most of their lives at sea, with a lot of that time underwater, scientists figured that they'd be able to call underwater too. But no one had actually heard it happen. That is, until a researcher at Nelson Mandela University in South Africa named Andrea Thibault was watching penguin body cam footage to learn more about how they hunt. That was when she heard the first recordings of seabirds making sounds underwater. Those clues led Thibault and her team to do more digging. 
They attached action cameras to 25 penguins from three different species and recorded 10 hours of footage. Tebow analyzed the footage and found 203 different underwater calls. It sounded like this. Did you catch that? Most of the calls were super short, lasting less than a tenth of a second on average. The penguins were usually alone when making these sounds, which suggests that they're not for communication. Generally, the penguins only chirped while hunting, especially when gaining speed in the water or successfully snapping up a fish. This helps explain why we haven't heard these noises from captive birds. They're usually fed dead prey. As excited as the researchers were to hear these sounds, they were equally puzzled over why the penguins made them. One theory? The noise is like a penguin burp, an air bubble they release so they can swallow a fish. Other ideas included the possibility that it called other penguins over to eat, or that the vibration of the call stunned prey so they couldn't escape. Or the penguins could just be excited they got some food. Pretty relatable, if you ask me. Let's make some sounds to recap today's episode. Well, I learned that it's harder for people with social anxiety to remember encounters that ended positively, which, like I said, really resonates with my experience. We also learned that scientists have created the first synthetic self-replicating genome, and that means that in the future they could create synthetic organisms to make medicines or process plastics. Good times. Yeah, it's super advanced stuff, but it could do a lot for us if we can make it happen. And I learned that penguins make adorable sounds underwater. They're kind of like chirps. And I like to think that it is the final theory that they're just really pumped that they're going to get a fish. Like, basically, it's like the penguin swimming toward the fish. And then at the last second, he goes, yes, and then he eats the fish. That's that's the chirp. That's what I think. So I don't know if you saw this, but if you have not yet gotten your fix of cute penguin action, the Shedd Aquarium here in Chicago, the world famous Shedd Aquarium, has closed like many other organizations and institutions around the world during this pandemic. But what the Shedd did was they let the penguins out and let them go on a field trip inside the aquarium. You can find it on Chicago Tribune covered it. It's on the Shedd Aquarium's website. You can find it on Twitter. We'll put links to the video in the show notes. It is, it's just the best. It's so cute. Their little heads are darting around and there's like music playing in the background. Absolutely adorable. Yeah, but did you see what Chicago's Adler Planetarium did in response? No. They, they basically did the same thing uh, with their collections guy. <laughs> they say, they say, we may not have penguins, but we do have Chris, who normally takes care of our collections objects in the dark. For a special treat, we let him out to explore the museum. <laughs> and so it's just like a guy walking around <laughs> the museum alone. It's, it's really funny. Amazing. <laughs> I'm glad people are finding some levity while Illinois is obeying a shelter in place order. <laughs> no one can go anywhere. But we'll put links for you to enjoy those fun videos in today's show notes. Today's stories were written by Kelsey Donk, Cameron Duke, and Steffi Drucker, and edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily. Today's episode was produced and edited by Cody Goff. Join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. Stay curious.